going to get back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is the, the verse that is guiding our Advent series this year. Uh, Advent is the season where we celebrate um, the first coming of Jesus, his arrival, his baby born in Bethlehem. And uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 uh, is a beautiful verse packed with a lot. Um, in it, we get a, um, a prophetic description of what the Messiah would be like and what he would do. And so 600 years before Jesus is born, actually more than 600 years, this prophecy, this Bible verse was written so that the nation of Israel would know what to look for and how to recognize him when he arrived, when he showed up. And so now here we are over 2,000 years later looking back to the birth of Christ and all that God said he would come to earth to do and now asking what does that mean for us today? And so in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we get these four titles for the coming Messiah. And we've made it to the second title today. I'm going to go ahead and read this again. Verse 6 of Isaiah 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to just tell a brief story. Um, so something happened in our family this week that um, I thought was helpful. Um, so historically, if, if I were doing like a personality test, I score pretty high on empathy and sympathy for humans. But when it comes to pets, I usually score pretty low. And uh, so the story I'm about to tell you is evidence that God is still working on me and redeeming my heart because my sympathy and empathy for pets is starting to go up. Case in point, this past week, um, our pets, both of them, had a vet appointment on the same morning, okay? So typically, I'm the pet owner who's like, ah, it's time for their annual vaccinations. Let's just wait Let's just wait a month. Let's wait, and I'll kick that can down the road until it's like, ah, let's just wait for two years. Why, why mess up the rhythm now? That's typically how I treat the pets in our house. Uh, but we had both the dog and the cat had a vet appointment. So this past week, I got up super early, even modified my morning routine for these two animals, uh, and headed out to a veterinarian clinic way out west, because that's where I like to go. One, the price is cheaper when you go out into the country because their typical clientele, they put their animals down on their own. They don't like, if the vet bill gets too high, they're like, nah, we'll just buy another. So I go, that's where I go to do my, my, my vet work is a place like that, and the prices are cheaper. Uh, and so I'm driving down the interstate headed west, and the interstate 20 had shut down. Uh, construction car wrecks, bumper to bumper. I'm, I'm now, I'm, now I'm running late for, for the the appointment and then back to work and so I'm stuck in the fast lane just stalled out in traffic and then a smell hits my nose and one of my two pets has decided to use the bathroom in the back seat of my new vehicle and so now I'm like oh this is not good like I was already not feeling it for these two animals and I kind of just want to open the door and kick them out right here on the interstate and so like, well, what do you do? And so I put on my blinker. I can't cross traffic because it's like three lanes of bumper to bumper. And so I'm like, so I have to pull off on the, the left shoulder, right? In the fast lane. So I pull, I'm like, the cars are never going to let me back in. I just lost my spot. 
now I've got to get the dog out on a leash, and so I tie the dog to the cable guardrail so the dog doesn't go anywhere and realize the cat has gone to the bathroom in the crate. So there's a nice little pudding like like mess in the crate. So now it's it's like 34 degrees outside this morning. So I'm like, now what? I can't get the cat out in the interstate and clean out the crate. Like, where am I gonna put the cat? So I'm like, I guess you're riding in the back of the truck now, all the way to the vet clinic. So I put the cat in the back of the truck, the dog and I get back in, we're like, oh, it's so much better. Make it to the vet clinic. I do the thing, all is well. I have to leave the dog there, come back in the afternoon to pick up the dog. And they're coming out to give me the instructions because she had had a surgery. And I typically, just I'm telling on myself here, I typically don't pay much attention. I'm like, the dog's gonna be fine. Just put a cone on their head, right? And they're like, no, you need to feed her like two ounces of feed tonight. And then if she holds that down, four ounces of feed tomorrow. And I'm getting like a 10-day regimen. I'm like, you obviously don't know me. Like, <laughs> and so I'm listening with intent. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this, turning over a new leaf. I'm gonna make sure this dog gets the best care possible and so I no longer leave this vet clinic and the goal is that the dog won't throw up right you want to keep your dog from getting sick because of surgery it's gonna be painful I'm not even 30 seconds out and I hear that sound that a dog makes when they're throwing up in the back seat of your car I'm like are you kidding me and so I had all these like okay precautions in mind and so I have to pull over again I get the dog out and I start like I'm going to clean this up and I start cleaning up my dog's throat this is what you want to hear for advent right about dog throat I'm starting to clean the mess out, and I realize my dog threw up gravel, rocks. I'm like, what in the world? I was worried about how many ounces of dog food I was going to give this dog, and she's eating rocks? Come on, work with me here. Come to find out, the night before, uh, one of my children carrying groceries into the house, um, a sack had busted and spaghetti sauce had broken out on our drive, gravel driveway, and I didn't know it, and we let the dog out to go to the bathroom before I took her to the vet. She went out, found the spaghetti sauce, and not only did she lick up the spaghetti sauce and probably pieces of glass, she ate rocks. I'm like, seriously, work with me here. So anyway, all that to say, one of my greatest struggles with being sympathetic and empathetic towards pet, I always feel like they're working against me. You ever feel that way? Like, my good intentions, they don't get it. And I'll compare that relationship sometimes to like me and God. I'm like, oh, this is how you feel about me. Like sometimes I'm working against you, even when you're trying to like take care of me and help me out and I can't see it. And I'm out in the driveway eating rocks. I say that because I think that it's so important for us to fully grasp the what Jesus has come to do for us is to understand not only how we oftentimes work against him in our lives, but what he came to do for us, according to the prophet Isaiah, was to take on the two greatest enemies that you and I face every day. And I wonder how many of us even realize that. That not only is Jesus here coming for us, he's working for us even today. And your two greatest enemies, which we'll name a little bit later in the sermon, he has come to defeat. The title that we're going to look at here today is the second title, The Mighty God. So his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We looked at that last week, and the second title is Mighty God. Now, the term, the title God makes sense, but the word before it really uh, makes all the difference in the world. 
uh, when it comes to understanding what God's son would come to earth to do. And so this, this Hebrew word for mighty uh, is the Hebrew word gabor. And the word translates valiant warrior or a war hero or a mighty man. Okay, so that word in the Hebrew language, that's what it meant. So now the prophet is telling the nation of Israel, here's what to look for. Uh, a child is coming your way. A son is going to be born. Uh, the weight of the world is going to be on his shoulders. And he's going to be a valiant war hero for you. And so we look at how that word was used in uh, the Old Testament. And it helps give us some kind of indication of what they would have been looking for. So you can go all the way back to like 2 Samuel 23, for example. Um, this word is used to describe David's warriors. They're oftentimes referred to as the mighty men. And like five times in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, um, the warriors who fought for David um, were referred to with the same, same description. Gabor, Giborim, which is the plural. These mighty men, these valiant heroic warriors who follow David into battle. And that's the word being described, the baby that would be born in a manger. Some other examples from the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 1. Uh, this was described of the warriors from the tribe of uh, Reuben, uh, Gad, and Manasseh. Verse 14 says, Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. And that's the same word here being used to describe this baby. These valiant warriors. This is actually used by an angel in Judges chapter 6 to describe uh, Gideon. This is verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. So the, the, the same description that the angel used to describe Gideon is now being used by the prophet Isaiah to describe this child, this baby that would be born in a manger that he would come to us as El Gibor, a mighty God, a God who is a valiant warrior, a, a heroic, mighty warrior. This title is used of God in other places. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 32, this is the first half of 32, says this, Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. So it's the nation of Israel, they were used to calling God this. In Jeremiah 32, 18, you show steadfast love to thousands, speaking of God, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. Oh, great and mighty God. Oh, God, you valiant warrior, whose name is the Lord of hosts. One more example, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a the great, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. You pull all that together into that one prophecy about this coming baby. We begin to get this picture that this coming Messiah would come to us as a child, 
would come to us as a, as a son being born, and he would also be a mighty man of valor or a war hero. This baby was born on a mission. You think about that. Now, Mary and Joseph had really no idea, but God the Father who sent his son to be born in a manger, this is why he came. Do you think about that? This is why he came. Now we begin to see this in Matthew chapter 1. Even at the nativity, there's a description of this mission that this baby would be on. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and willing to, uh, to put her, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For here's his mission. For he will save, he will rescue his people from their sins. Even from the manger, it was declared over this baby that he was on a mission. He was going to go to battle to rescue his people from their sins. Jesus comes to earth first as a vulnerable and humble baby in a manger, but he had a mission. This mission would lead him to grow up to become a war hero who would make war as our mighty God. And this is what God is saying through the prophet over 600 years before he's born. This is what you're looking for. This is how you'll know that the Messiah has been born. He will be a mighty God, a valiant war hero. So I begin to look into the New Testament descriptions of what Jesus came to accomplish for us And it begins to become obvious that Jesus did come to the earth to go to battle for us. To go to battle against our greatest adversaries. I'll just read a few verses here to help highlight this. In John chapter 1, verse 29, this is uh, from John the Baptist's perspective. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember what the angel said? His name should be called Jesus, for he will rescue or save his people from their sins. And now John's saying, here he comes, a grown man. That's him, the Lamb of God. And now he's come to do something. He's on a mission to take away the sins of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is from the perspective of Peter, verse 24 talking about Jesus. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by his wounds you have been healed. So not only would this baby grow up to be a valiant warrior who would go to battle, it's, we're, it's being known ahead of time that he will be wounded for us. And it's actually through his wounds that he incurs in this battle that, that comes to us healing. By his wounds, as he goes to battle for you, you are healed. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason, listen to this, the reason the Son of God appeared. That sounds like Isaiah 9, 6, doesn't it? The reason he came was to destroy the works of the devil. Now in that, we might only hear to destroy the devil. But it's not what it says. It says to destroy the works of the devil. Now we're getting closer to the two things I mentioned earlier that are working against you that you can't overcome on your own. I think the Apostle Paul describes this most beautifully in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The whole chapter is beautiful, but I'm going to read a couple verses here that describe this battle that this baby would take on for us. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, there are a lot of things that work against you in your life. not the least of which is your own physical body. Like, there may be two or three people who walked into the room today going, huh, I feel pretty good. Nothing's hurting. But the rest of us, we're aching. We need surgery. We just had surgery. Our back is tight. We're feeling that this, this body is not getting younger. It doesn't seem to be getting healthier. It seems to be moving in a direction that I can't come back from. And you work hard to fight against it. But not a person in this room can overcome it. What is that? Your body is headed towards death. That is the result of the fall. God said, when you sin, you will surely die. And the Adam, Adam and Eve sinned. It put in motion death. And between now and when you physically die, you will encounter death a thousand times over in the feeling of achiness or sickness or frailty or forgetfulness. All of these things are the evidence that this body isn't going to make it. There's a shelf life. So one thing that you cannot overcome is death itself. Like our best technology and medical energy goes to preserving life and keeping people alive. But in the end, we have yet to conquer death. We can't do it. At best, we can prolong it. At best, we can make it less miserable and more comfortable, but we can't defeat it on our own. But there's a second layer to this, and that is sin itself. Those will both be good news and bad news. So the bad news is, the reality is that every person in this room is impacted by sin, meaning the sin of others against you, but also your own sin. 
your own battle with sin. The bad news is you cannot overcome sin on your own. You've tried it. Haven't you? Haven't you said, oh God, get me out of this one and I won't do it again? Oh dear God, right? Like, you've tried. You've kept that struggle with sin a secret, hoping you could overcome it on your own so you wouldn't have to tell anybody. The two things that you can't overcome and I can't overcome in this life ultimately are sin and death. We need a war hero. We need a valiant warrior to come fight that battle on our behalf. This is what Jesus came to do for you and for me. This is the war he came to make. You know, he went to the cross on purpose. He took on suffering on purpose. He bore our sins on the cross on purpose. And he gave his life as a ransom for many on purpose. Hundreds of years before he was born, God is saying, hey, I'm sending you a child. I'm sending you my son. Here's how you'll know it's him. He will go grow up to be a mighty war hero to fight on your behalf, and he will win. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, he won a decisive victory for you and for me. Christmas ultimately is the celebration of the mighty God who came to earth first as an infant born in a manger in humility and vulnerability but who would grow up to become a war hero. Jesus came to earth to make war on our greatest enemies and to destroy the works of Satan, sin, and death. Jesus took on Satan himself, and through his resurrection, he defeated sin and death. Listen, the reason the cross was so brutal, like it's one thing to think about a baby in a manger swaddled and, you know, and it's just this beautiful starry night and everybody's happy and it's this nativity scene, but to think, to fast forward three decades and to see this last week of his physical life before the cross and all he endured, like it was brutal. It was bloody. The reason the cross was so brutal and so bloody is that Jesus was going to battle for us. And listen, the reason the resurrection is so exciting is that he won. Like in just a few months, we will be celebrating Good Friday and that service will feel heavy because the night of the cross was heavy. Even his own disciples felt like he had lost. But then when we gather on Sunday morning for our Easter celebration, we will celebrate. The reason the resurrection is so exciting to us is because he won. The mighty God wins. I want to land here today, and you may be visiting with us today, and glad you're here. Um, you may, this may be your church home, but really the question that we all need to stop and ask ourselves is, do I know that mighty God? Has, has Jesus become my war hero? 
the one who fights for me and has that victory over sin and death, has it taken root in in my life? So I'm going to ask some questions here for us to reflect on. And then I'm going to pray. So here's the first question. In what ways can you apply this understanding of Jesus as a mighty God in your daily life? Especially when facing like personal battles and challenges. See, what happens is you're going to face struggles tomorrow. You know that, right? You're going to go out into a world and it's going to be hard. You're going to come up against things that are working against you. Okay? The question really is this. Are you going to be mindful of Jesus as your war hero in that moment, or are you going to try to fight on your own strength? Now, I know what the right answer is, but what's the real answer? And you, probably like the rest of us, are most prone to exhaust our resources first, to somehow take on the same battle that we've lost over and over and over and over again as though this time we're going to get it right. This time we're going to win. This time I'm not going to sin in my own strength, and yet... Jesus is saying, hey, why don't you wake up tomorrow and let me fight for you? When you come up against something hard, what if you took a step back instead of like doubling down? What if you took a step back and surrendered and just let me fight on your behalf? Here's the second question. In what ways do you see Jesus' power to overcome sin and death reflected in your own life? How is he changing you? Where is the miracle of transformation in your own heart? Not what you did for yourself, but what he did for you. You're like, wow, look at what God did. I've been trying to fix this or change this in me for so long. Oh my goodness, look at what God did. I want you to think about this. How does Jesus' victory over sin and death influence your your approach to forgiveness? both in seeking it for yourself and then offering it to others. Do you still try to hold forgiveness in your own strength? Meaning you're not ready to receive forgiveness from God because you just want to get it right on your own? Like in this moment, we can see how silly that is, right? Jesus came to earth because you can't get it right on your own. But how about giving forgiveness? Do you also withhold that? Try to hold that in your own strength. And I'm going to make sure they mean it first. And I'm going to make sure they're really serious this time. Or do you receive the forgiveness of Jesus freely and then give it away freely? Think about this one. How can the concept of Jesus as a conqueror of the great enemy, sin and death, how can it impact your approach to fear, anxiety, or your attempt to control things. You see how control is the antithesis of surrender? Jesus has come to fight for you. Yet when we feel these things, again, our reaction is what? To fight for ourselves. I'm going to get it right. I'm not going to let anybody know. I'm struggling. How can this mighty God meet you in your fear, in your anxiety, and your attempt to control things this week. And this last question I want to ask, and this is for the whole room, anybody watching online, have you come to the place in your life 
where you have truly trusted Jesus as the hero of your story. We know he's the hero of this story, but have you trusted him as the hero of your story? Simple promise in the Bible says everybody who calls on his name will be saved, will be rescued. Have you called on his name? That's where I want to land.